0: Now, I remember a day in August, it was in 1994, and it was brutally hot, extremely hot. Uh, in fact, it felt like about 150 degrees, I don't think it was quite that warm, but it was the day that a young lady by the name of Shane uh, came to be my wife, and, and we had A wedding at St. Peter Macomb. I remember it very well. I also remember, I think we even have a picture if they can get it up there. Apparently we've locked it all up. It's all right, we're going to keep going. You know, and I I remember it well because uh, we had a a guest preacher who was a good friend of ours, Bill Yonker. And and I remember what he said that day. It's some words that I've shared in my ministry again and again. and, And here's what he said. He's like, once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess. It says, and as she was walking along, uh, wouldn't you know it, she came upon an ugly frog. And it was in that moment she looked down at the frog, and the frog spoke and says, Behold, I am a handsome prince. I'm under a curse by the wicked witch. And it was in that moment the princess thought to herself, Well, what do I want to spend time with an ugly frog for? But he said, No, if you'll just kiss me and take the risk, you will see. You will break the spell. I knew he was talking to me as the ugly frog in that moment. But then he said that the princess took the risk. She knelt down, picked up this little frog, this ugly frog, and she kissed him. And lo and behold, it was true. He turned into a handsome prince. And of course, it was love at first sight. And they went on to live happily Ever after. That's how the story always goes. And, and, you know, that's what the expectations are for marriage and weddings. And, and that's when Pastor Yonker, he said this. But for a lot of people, they start to realize that is rarely the case. For a lot of people, they realize this. what happens is the handsome prince marries the beautiful princess... They get married, and everybody's expectation is happily ever after, but it doesn't take long before the reality sets in that really the beautiful princess is really a wicked witch. And the handsome prince is really an ugly frog. And the reality of that truth is closer to the home than we like to admit. Because we see it far too often that the honeymoon ends quicker than we would ever imagine. Um, I've heard it said that marriage is like a three-ring circus. First comes the engagement ring, right? and Then comes the wedding ring and then begins the suffering, right? And and I often think, I wish you could see the picture of of my wife and I, on that wedding day, I, I have a feeling that had we known how difficult marriage would be, there's a pretty good chance we would have run on that day. Because uh, marriage is really hard. And, and it's no secret, I've shared in the past how difficult, our challenging, our, our marriage has been along the way. And, and the reason is, there is a bit of Wicked Witch and Ugly Frog in both of us. As there is in you. And, and this didn't come about overnight, it didn't come about suddenly, it It actually comes about because of who we are. It's part of our sinful, broken human nature. Uh, We read it, we heard it, of where it all began. (laughs) This beautiful picture, and and some weeks ago we read the beginning story where God made them male and female. and, And God says, It is exceedingly good. It is amazing. It is fantastic. It is great. There's no sin in the world, there's no brokenness in the world, there's no deception. There's no death, but all is good. And the relationship between husband and wife, male and female, is beautiful. It is not hindered in any way. But one day that changes. It says the the woman was there, and and she was near the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the evil one says, well, did God really say that you aren't to eat anything of any fruit of the garden and he spins the web of deception. She's like, well, no, actually, um, God didn't say that. He said, we aren't to eat the tree, the fruit of this tree. That's what God said. He's like, oh, well, you know why he told you that, right? You see, he, he knew that if you ate of it, you'd be like him. You'd, you'd have power. You'd have control. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you know what? The temptation is still the same. And the temptation became too great. It's in that moment that the woman looks and she says, wow, the, the, the fruit is desirable to eat, and, and why? I mean, why not? I could be like God, and, and she eats of that fruit, the fruit that God said, don't eat of this. And it says she gave it to her husband. And guys, lest we get all judgmental and say, see, woman, it's your fault. <laughs> it says that she gave it to her husband who was with her. He'd been there the whole time. He was probably dreaming about golf or the bowling league or thinking about work. And instead of sticking up and standing up spiritually in that moment, being strong in the marriage, he was asleep at the wheel. And she gives him the fruit and he eats of it too. And their eyes, the scripture said, were open. And suddenly they realized they were naked for the first time. They realized they're naked, and it says they, they go and they cover themselves in, in fig leaves and because and, and shame and guilt and separation and brokenness have entered into the realm of the world, and it has become ugly. Suddenly, the reality has shifted from it is exceedingly good to suddenly the honeymoon is now over, and a new reality is about to begin. It says that God came walking in the garden soon after that. They heard him, so they hid. And and God calls out. I love the fact God seeks them. You know, God has always been in the business of seeking his people, even when they failed, even when they've fallen, even when they're broken. God seeks them out. He knows where they are, but he gives them a chance. He says, where are you? And, And that's less of a question of where they are in physicality. It is more of a question of where they are spiritually I believe. Where are you? That's when the, the man speaks up. He says, we realized we were naked. We heard you walking and we hid. God says, who told you were naked? You, you didn't eat of the tree that I told you not to, did you? And they said, yeah. And that's when it gets even uglier. That's when the, the man speaks up. He says, this woman you put here with me. It's her fault. And the finger pointing begins. Really, who is he blaming? It might be to say, "Oh, he's blaming the woman." Yeah, I guess he is. But he's also blaming who? God, because obviously God didn't make her in the right way, or she wouldn't have failed. The man blames Jesus, or I'm sorry, God. Then turns to. To the woman says, what is this you've done? She says, well, it's the devil. He made me do it. I mean, after all, I'm overwhelmed. There's too much going on. And who am I to, to say no to that? It was too much. And she gives in. And with that, God speaks words of judgment on the evil one, calls the says, You're going to crawl around on your belly. You're going to eat dust. It's the same dust that the man originally came from. But then he makes that, that promise. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman's offspring. And then he singularly points out, he says, and he will crush your head, and you'll strike his heel. It's the first promise, the messianic promise in scripture. In that moment, in judgment, as God speaks a curse over the serpent, God already is speaking words of promise. That he will bring redemption, he will bring reconciliation, he will bring a promise that will change the reality and yet the reality has still changed. He turns to the woman. He says, Because of all of this, your pains in childbirth are going to increase. Those of you who have gone through that, amen? Painful. He also says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And and you might say, well, your desire for your husband, isn't that a good thing? Not in this context. The mindset is that there will be a desire for power and control. There's going to be a war. There's going to be a battle. And it's going to be an ugly reality, this side of this new reality that's come by way of sin. He turns to the man. He says, you know what? You had it made in the garden, but no longer. Only by the sweat of your brow are you going to be able to produce and make a living. It's going to get difficult from here on out. It's only going to produce thorns and thistles for you. This new reality is a difficult one. It's not always romantic. It's not easy. And It would seem the honeymoon was over. Where are you? And that question is for us today too. In relationships, whether they be with a spouse, whether they be with a family member, whether they be with a friend even at work or a friend that's in the neighborhood, where are we in the brokenness of our relationships today? Now God asks that question again and again. And the question is, where do we turn? It's no no mystery. I'm a visual learner, things that are visual help me to remember things. And um, as Shane and I over the years have sought help again and again, 22 years of, almost 22 years of marriage, and a couple weeks ago I shared a little bit of that, some of the the things we've learned along the way in in our struggles. Um, But one of the things I've learned recently, I want to share with you today, that really was helpful to me, because I think about Adam and Eve... They're suddenly now out of the garden, and they're really forced because of sin in this uh, new reality. As the honeymoon is over, they're living really outside the garden. They're in the wilderness, and they're learning how to make the best of it and the most of it along the way with God's help, and God's reminding them to keep turning toward them. But that reality is now different. Rather than living in a home, they're now really forced, you might say, to live in a tent, because it's difficult, it's hard, and if you've ever gone camping, I don't mean in a motorhome with a microwave, I mean in a tent, and um, it gets hard, it can be uncomfortable, it, it can be challenging, and, and no matter what you say, oh yeah, I love tent camping, there's a point at which you say, you know what, I want to be home again. Um, for a lot of couples, in marriages, um, it's kind of like this. And this is something I, I just recently learned, and it, it stuck with me a little bit, is that if, if you've ever been in a tent, and I'm talking about a dome tent, and when you set up a dome tent, what's pretty neat about those is um, they are um, actually movable once you have them all set up. You can keep them all set up and then move them to a different location. You just slide it over to a different spot. You can slide it over on this side of the campsite. You, you can slide it, and you know, what can happen in marriages is a very similar thing. Uh, where do we set up The tent of our lives, or as Jesus would talk about it, where do we build our house? And I want to share four different campsites. You know, for a lot of couples, they begin their relationship, and this is where they set up camp, and it's the lover camp where their relationship is, is built on just an incredible attraction toward each other and an incredible excitement for each other. And you know what? It is a very rare thing to meet a couple that their entire marriage is spent in this camp. Um, there are exceptions to this, and, and you know who they are. And I, I love it when you meet an older couple, and, and, and they're holding each other. They're together all the time. They're smiling when they're together. You can tell they truly are crazy about each other. And there's something about that. There's a few in this church, and you already know who they are. You're just thinking, oh, yeah, yep, I know who they are. And, and that's a beautiful thing. But it's rare that a couple will spend their entire marriage in the lover camp. More often, another solid place where a marriage can be built is I'm not going to have space there, but the friendship camp. And this is built on on mutual enjoyment and things that you enjoy doing together. It's, It's built more in a friendship of we truly love spending time together, going places together, and that mutual support in honesty and communication that is strong in this healthy relationship built on a friendship. That's a beautiful place to be. And, and for a lot of healthy marriages, that's where they spend most of their time. And, and it's easy to slide into the lover uh, camp, back and forth. That's a very healthy place to be in a lot of marriages. But for even more marriages, I would say it's not always the case. There's a couple more camps. Here's another one. And it's an easy slide to get here. Stranger camp. This camp is, is filled with, with couples that they kind of get into that mode of sort of putting blinders on. Coexistence. Going through the motions. Marriage is more of just a contract in this kind of home. They, they go through the motions. There's really no affection no admiration, no friendship, certainly no lover category here. It's just going through the motions, getting through the day, inconvenience. If you got kids, taking care of the kids, making sure they get to where they are, paying the bills. But really no interaction beyond just going through life, really living separately, though living together. It's not a beautiful place. And, and for a lot of couples, that's where they spend a lot of their time. Um, what's I think significant here as well is that for a lot of couples that spend their time in the stranger camp, uh, they don't always think about it, but they are also teaching their kids what marriage is all about. They, the kids are watching the marriage unfold, and what they're learning is it must be normal not to interrelate with a spouse. We're, we're shaping and forming a, a child's worldview of what a marriage is all about, and, and for couples that live as strangers... You may not even realize you've moved into this camp until I bring it up right here. You're like, well, yeah, but that's just kind of how we are. And you may be forgotten what it was like to live here or live here. I know for Shane and I, when we first saw this illustration, it got our attention because we realized, wow, we spend way too much time here. And you know, what's interesting is to the outside world, everything can seem fine. People who know you are like, oh, they have a great marriage. But you can also live separate lives God desires that this not be a place where we live on sand, but rather to start moving toward being built on rock and a better campsite. You know, there's, there's another category, place to set up camp, and it, it shifts even further and slides even further from lover and friendship and stranger. It, it's this camp over here, and, and this is the enemy camp. Sorry if you can't read my, my writing. Enemy camp. Um, people who camp here, there's a, a an, an incredible um, doctor of, of marriages, he's, he's studied this kind of thing and studied marriages over the year, and, and he calls families that and couples that live in the enemy camp, they're often marked by what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse, kind of a dramatic thing, but what he points out is this is the beginning of the end, and, and and couples that find themselves in the enemy camp uh, can be filled with criticism, that there is nothing your spouse does right, and all you can think of is and share is criticism. That's all that comes out. Uh, can be filled with uh, defensiveness, that if, if someone has said, hey, could you do that? Hey, it's not my turn. Are you kidding me? I'd do enough around here. And, and defensiveness can kick in in this, in this camp. Um, uh, criticism, defensiveness, a uh, stonewalling where, where if your spouse starts to talk to you, you just shut down because you just can 't handle it you 're emotionally flooded, and rather than dealing with it, you end up just kind of walking away it 's a very ugly place to camp out for a marriage, and it 's a dangerous place too, because the distance to overcoming the challenges here can be different very difficult and overwhelming to say the least where are you today how do you come to worship this morning in your marriage or your relationships and friendships which camp do you live in and where do we find hope you know i love the fact that when you think about it we desire a happily ever after kind of thing and and yet, we discover the better for worse, and when the honeymoon's over, and that longing for what could that be, what could that look like, and it seems so out of reach because we realize in our brokenness and our ugliness, and as we're finger pointing, saying, How come they don't become different? What God starts to do is teach us that the answer to moving and shifting back into a better campsite is not by pointing fingers, it's by looking to ourselves and realizing in and of ourselves we are broken we are in need of rescuing we are in need of saving there's this great verse in Romans i want to read this with you great verses from Romans 5 and it goes like this paul says it so you see at just the right time when we were still powerless christ died for the ungodly god demonstrates his own love for us in this and we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates this love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Do you hear the enemy word in there? You know, in our relationship with our spouse, a lot of times... The reality for us, too, is we become an enemy of God. Our sin, our selfishness, our our selfishness is is overcoming our relationship. And all we can see is our needs and our wants. And God starts to break that open and say, don't you get it? It's not about you. It's about a relationship with me that opens the door to a relationship to the one and the ones I put in your life. And God starts to break down those barriers as the one who comes into this broken world. You know, the, the scripture calls Jesus, the answer to that Genesis 3 promise, the one who had crushed Satan said, the scripture calls him the prince of peace. And you think about that. A prince that enters into this broken, fallen reality. One who fights for us and faces the evil and overcomes it so that we might face true security, true love today. In a relationship with him, he calls us his bride. And if he is a prince, and if he is the son of God who is the king, well, what's that make us? It makes us royal. Love that verse in in 1 John 4 where it says, you know, um, or 1 John 3, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God, and that is what we are. The new reality for us in Jesus is that we are part of a royal family. And we don't have to live in a tent anymore. God has actually welcomed us home to the palace to live in his presence as the bride of Christ in our marriages, in our relationships, and as we have been reconciled. So he reconciles us to each other to grace and forgiveness. Folks, it's a happily ever after kind of reality for us. And it's all made possible in our relationship with him. I want to pray with you. Lord Jesus, as we answer that question of where we are today, maybe we are blessed. We've been living in the lover or friendship camp in our relationships. And we, have give, we must give you thanks for that incredible blessing. But Lord, it's very possible that many of us have slidden into the stranger camp or even the enemy camp where our relationships have been filled with contempt and criticism filled with defensiveness and stonewalling. Lord, we pray and ask your forgiveness today. We pray, Lord, you turn our hearts back to you with an openness for what you have done for us as the Prince of Peace that, that says no more and brings a new reality to light today. Lord, we pray you would reconcile relationships. We pray you would build on marriages for better for worse who are in it for the long haul, no matter what, made righteous in your sight through the love of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Lord, we thank you as we are royalty in your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen.